I'm Ryan Milliken from Hardway Performance, and you're listening to The Diesel Podcast. I'm Demetri Miller with No Zone Diesel. This is Anthony Rings from XDP. This is Jaron Holder from Holder Down Performance. Corey Willis from TPI. I'm Drew with D&J Precision Machine. I'm Pinky. And you're listening to The Diesel Podcast. Diesel Podcast. You're listening to The Diesel Podcast. The Diesel Podcast. The one and only Diesel Podcast. What is going on, Diesel Nation? Today, we're going to talk to Diesel World and tell you guys how to get your truck in a magazine. But before we get into the podcast, we wanted to thank you guys for all the iTunes reviews and the comments that you've given us. They're, they're driving tons of episodes, so make sure to go on iTunes, give us a rating, let us know who you want to hear from, what topics you want to hear about. We'll make sure we get them on the podcast. Also, go to thedieselpodcast.com. We've got all of our episodes there with videos and tons of information it's all in one place. It's the dieselpodcast.com. All right. Now we're going to talk to Diesel World and tell you how to get your truck in a magazine. Adam, I am really pumped up to chat with you today. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> hey, yeah, me too. Glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk trucks. We just want to jump right in. Talk. I mean, we both, we're both passionate about them. All of our listeners are passionate about, about them, regardless of the brand. And we got to know each other through Diesel World magazine. And... I wanted to know what truck did you start with? What, what you know, what uh, made the diesel bug bite you? Oh, uh, this is kind of a, well. So I actually grew up working on cars. Um, I mean, I got pictures of me for three, four, five years old working uh, in the transmission tunnel where my dad couldn't fit and you know, tighten stuff down there. Um, but I was building hundred point cars, so show cars, uh, mainly import stuff. Um, I actually got the diesel bug from growing up on boats, though. So just sitting there listening to the smell, listen, or sorry, smelling the diesel, <laughs> listening to the uh, the turbo spool. I don't know. That was just it was fun for me. Um, so when it came time to get a car, I turned 16. I actually got a little Ford pickup. It was a gasser. Um, I didn't get my first diesel until after I graduated high school, which I actually still have that truck. It's a 2007-3 Power Stroke. Um, and I've really, I just, I bought it just because I loved, I was working at a truck shop at the time, and I just loved what we were able to do with them. It was just so much fun to throw, you know, thousand bucks worth of parts at it and get an extra 150, 200 horsepower. I mean, the torque was just so much fun to play with, getting 26 miles per gallon. I mean, it was, I, I loved everything about it. And that smell, you know, reminded me of growing up on boats, so. Those were the good old days when you could, like, buy a a chip or a programmer, you know, and get 150 horsepower out of it, which it, you can't do that in the gas world or couldn't at that time. Right. And that, that's what, that's what bit me, too, is, wow, I can just buy this and do that, and, you know, it <laughs> makes all this extra power and torque. Oh, such a great bang for your buck. I mean, you'd be, I remember my old Ranger, he'd throw intake exhaust and a tuner at it, and you get, what, 18 horsepower out of it, if you're lucky. Yeah. Spend about the same amount of money that I did on a diesel. And, I mean, that's what's so much fun, is just being able to put some money into it and feeling it push you back into the seat more. Yeah. I don't know. That's, yeah, you're totally right. Totally right. And we're still there with them, you know. I think eventually they'll catch up to the gassers, what will be harder to get power out of them, but... You can still get a lot of power out of a tune, what, 17 years later, 18 years later? <laughs> <laughs> What's so interesting to me about it is, I think the first time I was around a diesel, it was a 7.3, it was an 0.2. And I didn't know anything about them at that time. I was like, you know, just right out of college, and I'm like, wow, this is loud. And you kind of feel, you know, get up and go a little bit. Right. And watching where it is now, how much more power they make, I mean, there's horsepower torque war going on with the big three and the emission systems have gotten more complex on them the trucks have gotten quieter they've gotten more amenities than say like you know a second gen dodge hat or a 7.3 or the early duramax trucks did and it's sort of kind of this catch-up game that i think the aftermarket plays a little bit in you know can we still make power with these trucks And there's a lot of companies that are doing it that uh, that we've talked to, and it's exciting to see them work within this new framework, and right. still give that you know bang for the buck performance that uh, the diesel people love. Well, it's one thing that I've been hearing from a lot of guys lately is that 
So think about that. We'll use a 6-7 power stroke, for example. You can get about 700 horse out of that with a very small injector upgrade, um, you know, high-pressure pump upgrade, and just a small turbo upgrade. Think about what that took to get that out of a 7.3 or an old 5.9, pull 700 horse out of a vehicle. I mean, yeah. spending a ton more money. So it's kind of, it seems to me a lot of manufacturers now are, it's either real big or it's just little stuff because mm-hmm. you don't need much to get there. Uh, that, but yeah, it's totally still bang for your buck there. That's a really good point. I never quite thought about it like that. But there would be a lot of money invested in a seven three to hit, say seven eight hundred horsepower versus what? I mean, the six fours were doing it, a six seven power strokes. You know, they they have the framework for it. Yeah, and it's uh, it's exciting. Now, like I'm sure you see tons of things out there. Like, are you seeing guys when you travel? You know, mostly. Are, are you seeing race trucks? Are you seeing them work on a little bit of everything? What What do you see out there? You know, when you travel the, the country. Oh man, I'm seeing everything. Um, it kind of depends on where you're going to. I think uh, more uh, northeast, we're seeing a lot more of the high performance stuff. Um, you start getting down. Now, I'm going to say this and make a lot of people mad by saying this. It does not. It doesn't mean all of northeast is all race trucks. You know, but you start getting down in the Texas area, and we're seeing a little more of the show stuff. Um, but um, there's there's definitely a, a little bit different collection on where you're going. But it is all across the board. I'm seeing a lot more guys that we used to see just, you know, what I call disco trucks, um, basically just a bunch of paint and chrome. Um, we are seeing a lot more performance stuff out there. So you do get the paint and chrome. But at least they're throwing a bigger turbo on it. You know, they're putting a bigger exhaust, a little bit bigger injector. Whereas before, it was not as much of that and more just pure paint and chrome. Uh, I should say the separation between the two is starting to get closer to each other, if that makes sense. I think a lot of the competitions out there and the races and everything like that have really, over the last couple years, made it to where like a a 1,000-horsepower truck isn't necessarily as big of a deal as it was like in 2008 or nine or 10. And you see these guys at 2000 and, you know, we may not have heard of them, but they've, they were able to do it and they're going to be out there at tracks. They're going to be racing. They're going to be doing stuff. And it's set the bar to this crazy level. It's scary, isn't it? I mean, just think Mm -hmm. about how much work it took to get to a thousand and how jaw dropping it was to be at a thousand. And now, I mean, 1500 really, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's still respectable, but 1,500 is not a jaw-dropping number anymore. Right. It's the 18 to 23. It's kind of, you know, you're in the big leagues right there. If you can get the power on the track, you know, but, or down to the ground at least. But, yeah, it's, it's it's amazing. I mean, think about how many years ago were we looking at compound turbos, meaning just two turbos, <laughs> and how amazing that was. Oh, you've got two turbos. That's amazing. And that guys are running three. I mean, I've even seen four. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it used to just be that shops would build those trucks. Right. And now it's not anyone with, you know, vision and and the passion for it. You can have a 2,000 horsepower truck. It's going to cost a lot, but you can do it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, then that's funny, too, because you start seeing, I've seen a lot of guys going back to singles. You know, big singles with a bunch of nitrous. And I have to wonder, is that because they did the compound route and were breaking bottom ends at, you know, 2,000 RPMs or something real low? Um, and then just said, no, forget this. I'm going to spin this thing as high as I can, save some parts, and make as many passes down the quarter mile. Um, uh, it's been an interesting few years just to see us go from two to three and then seeing a lot more singles coming back, too. The great debate of single charger versus <laughs> compounds or triples. and Exactly. I don't know which which one would you prefer if you were going to have say not a competition truck, but something you were going to drive, but you know mostly just take it to the track, have fun with. Um, mostly a daily driver. I do compounds. I do a smaller set of compounds. Um, like actually, but then if I was going pure track, <laughs> now I'm going to say this. I'm going to bite my tongue <laughs> a couple times while we say this. So my seven three, um, I have a single on it, but I drive it on the street. And I have to worry about emissions 
because I'm in a, a state where they're very um, particular about our emissions um, all the way out on the West Coast. So I have a small single turbo, and then I just put a big wastegate on it, and I run a ton of nitrous. So on the street, it's great with that single. And then when I go to the track, I open the wastegate up, and I spray you know, an 090 jet at it, basically 100 shots. Um, if I was going to have a newer truck, which is actually what I'm looking for, I'd do a small set of compounds for the street. If I was going drag truck, I'd probably go big single and nitrous, just because I love nitrous. It's a lot of fun to play with. I'm so torn on what I would do. I mean, it, I have had a big single before, and the way that it comes on is mesmerizing. However, right. the lag with it, <laughs> driving it around on the street is not not too fun, especially at elevation. Yeah. The compounds, they're so, they're so seamless. I, I think you definitely get more usable power with compounds, but it's just that big single charger just sitting there. You know when it's going to come on. There's something alluring about it, but it does, it has its downsides, I'd say, on the street, mostly. For sure. Well, and that single's so angry when it comes on. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... That's, that's one thing about it, that I love about a big single is when it does hit, it just hits so hard. Um, but yeah, I, I have a, a, a 335D BMW with compounds on it. Um, so I know exactly what you mean. It's, it is very nice to be able to get on the pedal with that car and just have the power come on instantly. Night and day difference in my 7.3. But. You'd mentioned looking for a new truck. I'm in the same position. Let's see. Let's see what we're looking at, facing the same conundrum here, so to speak. What? Uh, what? What are you been looking at? I'm looking at. I won't buy anything brand new. Um, so I'm looking at something four or five years old. But I'm looking at a fourth generation fourth generation Ram or a six seven power stroke. Um, and probably kind of leaning towards the Ram right now uh, because it's a little bit easier to fit some compounds on the side of it. Yeah. yeah, but also I like the six seven power stroke. I mean, Ford's stuck with that a little while, so it's starting to get some you know real healthy aftermarket backing behind it. So I don't, you know, it's really going to come down to what I can get with the most options. I want air conditioned seats. I have to have air conditioned seats. <laughs> Those are nice. Yeah, but what do you what are you thinking about? You know, mine's just to be a daily driver. Not gonna be anything crazy and. I'm really torn between all three. I it's same thing you mentioned, six seven Cummins, you know, fourth gen. It's really easy to put compounds on it. It's really easy to do things to it. There's tons of aftermarket upgrades. But I've had one. And so <laughs> the other two are kind of pulling me a little bit more. The the LML, I love the platform. The the tuning options that are available for it. But then with the 6.7 power stroke, it's like it would be so nice to probably never have to put a built transmission in it. And, and that's that's kind of where I'm at. The styling, the options, they're all great. They're all really nice trucks. It's just, I don't know. I'm still I'm still torn. See, and I still, I, I mentioned, you know, the Cummins and the Ford, but I still love a Duramax as well. I just I just want a solid axle the only thing stopped me from getting a Duramax. I worked at PPE for a bunch of years, or what am I saying, for a little over a year, a bunch of years, come on. <laughs> and I, I fell in love with that engine. I really did. But I just, I need that solid axle. I need the four-wheel drive. Otherwise, I'd be going after one of those too. But you're right. Once we step up the power a good amount, that Allison just isn't going to handle it. Um, the ride of the GM is so nice, though. It is. It is. It's like a car. It, yeah, and it handles like that as well. Yeah, <laughs> which then you step back and okay, how much time are we actually using these trucks off road, and do we really need that solid axle? Probably not, but uh, call it a personal problem. I just can't. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really cool to talk about them and what we we look for, you know, in them. Uh, we, I did an episode with uh, with. Uh, He's been a fan of the podcast for a while, and he was in the same situation, and he went with a Duramax. Okay. And he's like, I want something quiet. I really don't take it off-road. He did the loud Cummins 
you know, thing with a bunch of upgrades to it. And that's the direction he went. And I just, I love the LML. Um, the L5Ps, I'm still kind of, I don't know. I think it needs more time. I definitely love the the new hood and the styling that they have. But it just needs a little bit more time, I think. So I haven't, I haven't looked at brand new ones either. Well, the L5P is still a mystery. I mean, until we can really get some good tuning on it, we really don't know what that thing's going to do. And I don't think anyone's really going to know what it's going to do until that happens. Yeah. I mean, you look at, you know, uh, the Fleece Brothers, they've, you know, they've got their ECU that they've been toying with to make it work. But there's just really nothing out there that is quick and easy, nothing that the general consumer can use. And until we get there, we're really not going to know what the L5P is. But um, I agree with you on the LML. You know, that's I wanted an LMM or an LML. Those were my two favorite. But the LML is just a little bit better than the LMM. We had uh, Corey Willis on not long ago, and we were talking to him about just that with the L5P and things he may be able to do to him. And he brought up something really interesting was that once one of the big three does something, the other two usually follow suit. And how that could happen with Ford, it could happen with Ram, where it's not necessarily there's tuning available a month after the trucks hit the street. And, you know, it's going to make things interesting for sure. Well, the scary part there is, okay, so I, I want to say that we will break through um, DL5P tuning. You know, I, I, we've, I have to say that we're going to get through it at some point in time. But what if we don't? How does this change? Just like you said, you know, Chevy or Ford and Dodge are going to follow up and do the same thing. So what if we can't break through it? How does that change our industry? Yeah. You know, does everyone now have secondary ECUs running just the engine? I mean, I don't know. This is, it could be interesting. Because that'll, that'll make it for a totally different, uh, you know, truck. And I'm actually seeing a lot of, uh, a lot more older trucks um, getting tuned up just because of, the L5P reason, all the emissions reasons, but having that ECU impossible to break is kind of the biggest um, hurdle that I've seen so far for us in the last, what, 17 years that I've been in the industry. It's something, you know, we're, us diesel enthusiasts, we don't like to wait. <laughs> and the, the, there are a lot of guys who, you know, they bought an L5P and then they have it and they're like, well, I can't, not that they necessarily want to turn it into a competition truck, but hey, I want to do this with it, I can't, I'm going to go get an LML or an LMM or LBZ or LB7 or whatever it might be. So they're doing that. And I think even a little bit in the Ram market as well, where they've like, well, you know, I could get this brand new truck or let me go find a, a 5.9, you know, common rail. And there's tons of parts and things you can do for those those trucks. Well, and the, uh, the mechanical injection fans i've just i've seen that fad come up a little bit more i've seen a lot more we'll put it this way anytime i post a 7.3 photo on any of diesel world's um social media or mechanically injected cummins photo it just it does it extremely well it's something where i know that if i post it it's going to do well um, it just seems like is it the emissions issue is it are all the issues that we're having or is it all the kids that grew up and their dad had a early power stroke or, you know, a 5.9. And so now the kids are getting to the age where, okay, I can afford to buy a diesel truck. I remember riding in my dad's truck as a kid. I want that truck. And, uh, what's, I, I'm sure it's a combo of both. But. That's a really good point. I, that made me think of something. Is I remember I was young, but mid-90s 12 valves. I remember they were loud, and the guys that owned them always complained about the transmissions because they didn't hold up. And they they were just, I don't know, I, I remember them, but I look at it now, if I could find a clean 12 valve, I'm not saying I wouldn't drive one. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> They're just really hard to find in that kind of clean, you know, maybe just hauled a trailer every now and then, drove around town, under 100,000 miles, they're, they're pricey. <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? Just to you know, think how much those things are going for now and what they were going for even just 10 years ago. Yeah. that's You say that, that's 
I've got two thoughts on so I'm I'm selling my seven three here probably in the next year. So I've got two thoughts and is it the new six seven either Ford or Dodge? Or is it an old mechanically injected you know, twelve valve? Or an old seven three Ford, you know, square body. Now with the Ford I'd pull it out, I'd put something else in there because I want you know, I want some more power, but just those old vintage trucks, you know, outside the, the old vintage engines, vintage, the older engines, um, and how easy they were to work on. And, I mean, yeah, are they going to make a ton of power? I'd say no, but we've seen what, you know, the PDD guys did at UCC this year with their truck, power-driven diesel guys. Um, there's just something about those old pickups that they're getting kind of old enough now where they're being considered vintage. Yeah. You know, it was the 70s C10s and stuff like that that would have been so hot. But for the diesel crew, it's, you know, it's a first-gen Ram, yeah, of course, but still the square-body OBS Ford. It's a good-looking truck nowadays, I think. That's true. They've grown on me. Where when they were out, I never I never really thought, oh, wow, that's a, a really cool, like, 97 Power Stroke. But now, and there's, there's especially on social media, there's a lot of people that are, you know, they're, they're restoring them. They're doing wheels and tires. They're doing all these things. And you see like a modern take on an older truck and it's just, there's an appeal to it. Yeah. But the thing with the second gen Ram, you know, I always thought that was a gorgeous truck when it came out. I remember watching, uh, remember the movie Twister when they, uh, they killed that second <laughs> gen Ram. It was like, oh, that hurt so bad to see it get sucked up into the tornado. But, um, <laughs> There's still such a good-looking truck with such classic lines, and it's a—it's really is a totally different-looking truck than um, an OBS Ford. But yeah, they're going on me again. The decisions we face, <laughs> right? Yeah, wish I could have a twelve-car garage. <laughs> I fill all twelve spots up with diesel trucks. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'll throw a couple diesel cars in there too. You know, an old TDI would be fun to have, Volkswagen, but but yeah, it'd be mostly trucks, that's for sure. <laughs> we had a podcast, I think last month, with this gentleman from England that had a old Charger that he stuffed a Mercedes diesel in, and he was talking to us about the power he could get out of it and what they can do. And I'm like, this is so cool. Like, it's not necessarily a trend here in North America, but he's like, it is so crazy in Europe. Like the the amount of people that want this engine, what you could do, and it's a mechanically injected uh, fuel system. And I was like, oh, I want one of those. I'd, I'd have a spot for one of those cars. <laughs> those have always um, intrigued me, the 80s Mercedes. You know, those, because they're just old, loud, and smoky, but I've always, because they've been so cheap over here to get to them. You can pick one up for probably 1500 bucks in fairly decent condition. Yeah. I just thought they'd be fun. Every now and then, actually, you'll see one at uh, SDX or you know any of these races, ODSS races, and just see someone going down the strip with it. And I'm always like, man, I wish I could have could have bought one of those, and maybe I will one day. Like <laughs> that's what we all need is more projects, you know. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. There was a a question I know I've heard people ask for a while. I've even thought it myself, and I wanted to ask you. I think a dream that all truck enthusiasts have one day is how do I get my truck in a magazine? So I wanted to ask you, how, how do you get your truck in a magazine? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, where I get most or where we get most of our features from, you know, our featured vehicles is going to be at, at Shide, Shide Diesel Extravaganza, um, at any of the ODSS events, at UCC, at NHRDA events, basically go to events. Um, if you get your truck at events, get it in the show and shine, get it running down the track, um, that's the best way. You know, we like we like to see something with performance parts on it. So if it is all paint and chrome, you know, throw a turbo on there, throw an intake, throw an exhaust at it. That'll help. Um, but just about every event going on during the year, any of the uh, somewhat larger ones, you're going to see someone from Diesel World there. I've got about 15 guys roaming the country at all times. So if you if you see one of us there, see one of our shirts, you know, flag us down and show us your truck. And 
you know, that's how you do it. I just was going, thinking through all the events that are out there, how packed they get. I haven't been to all of them. I know Shide gets really, I've been to that a few times and it's definitely like, this is an event. Like the whole city changes <laughs> during, during that, yeah, during that weekend. And I remember walking through uh, behind Vendor Row where they have like the, the covered parking and the trucks that are lined up there. And you'll see vehicles there that you won't just see. I don't see them here in Colorado like that, whether it's new or old or, you know, makes 1500 horsepower. It doesn't. There's a lot of really cool vehicles there. Um, and then even just going down the track and seeing somebody you've never heard of them, never seen their truck and. It's out there running, you know, high 10s, low 11s, and it's like, wow, that's a truck you drove here, and you're going to drive home? And it's it's cool. It's actually one of the things that I really love about Shide, about that event, is just so many, I mean, okay, it's a, it's a drunken fest, it really is, and I'm not super excited about that and what we do to the town. You know, we should really try and respect that town a little more, which we have in the last few years. But remember Plowboy Diesel? They have that dual Cummins um yeah, uh, 1970 Dodge. I saw that thing there, I think, three or four years ago when it was just in mock-up stage. I mean, he didn't even have axles in it. He was just putting wheels in the wheel well, just sort of sitting there, um, you know, not attached to anything. So cool to see that thing there. Um, there's so I mean, there's an old probably 50s Ford that comes out every year um, that has a 6-liter power stroke in it. How often do you see a transplanted six-liter? Not often. And it's, I don't know, it's just one of the random things. There's always a bunch of old rat rods there that are really cool to see. Um, yeah, Shide, Shide brings out some interesting ones. Actually, I'd say we've probably pulled some of the, uh, the coolest features out of that show um, as compared to any of the others. How long does it take, say, from the time somebody's got a, you know, a unique build, something that catches your eye? see them at an event, to when it hits, the, you know, the, the magazine stand? Uh, it depends on the time of year. Um, <laughs> but generally at the the shortest amount of time is going to be three months. Um, but sometimes it takes a year. It just If you catch me, you know, right after SEMA, when I've got 30 different trucks that we shot at SEMA to run, it could take six months. It could take eight months. You catch me towards the end of the year around, you know, Right before SEMA during Shide, it's probably going to happen within three months. But a lot of this, too, you know, think about I have to create issues that make everyone happy. Yeah. So SEMA, it seems to be every year, it's one type of truck. Um, a couple of years ago, we were seeing all Chevys. Um, this year, it was all new Fords. So, you know, if I'm if you have something that is not super popular that time of year, going to make it into the book a lot quicker because um, i got to make sure i got enough Ford, enough Chevy, enough Dodge, enough race stuff, enough show stuff in, in each issue. What's SEMA like? I've never been to it, but I have heard it is like a, a must if you're into just vehicles in general, but especially diesel trucks. It's just crazy. SEMA is, so when I started going, so this year will be my 18th year, um, when I started going, someone did a study. They said if you were to spend four or five seconds at every single booth and started, you know, day one right as the gates open and left right as they shut the gates on the last day, five seconds of booth, you would never see every single booth. Wow. It's massive. Um, the first probably three or four years I was there, it was just jaw on the floor, just didn't know what I was looking at. There was so much going on. Everywhere you look with something innovative you've never seen before, just it's if you're a car guy, if you're in the industry, find a way to go. If you're not in the industry, go anyway and just hang out outside. I mean, there's so much going on outside that you can get a pretty good idea of what is going on inside. Um, but I mean, it's uh, it's the entire convention convention center is jam packed with people, jam packed with booths. It's hard to get around because there's so much going on um it's 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 wild you know like you really need to go um, it's definitely a bucket list thing now that it's my 17th year it's, it's kind of i've run around just going from meeting to meeting to meeting which you know it's good because that's business i guess but i 
wish I could go back to the you know the first few years when everything there amazed me and I could just wander around and look at stuff. That's 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 the fun part. You know, when I was at Shide, I the first year I worked a booth. I didn't get to see very much. I didn't get to talk with companies that were there, or sit in the stands. The second year I went, I made a point to do that. And there's like two sides to the event where I could really see how it would be cool just to go to SEMA, walk around, check out as much as you can, and just take in all the cool builds. And th- there's just so much that I've just picked up on social media of you know, this truck or this car that has a 12 valve Cummins in it. And I don't remember the particular company or gentleman that built it, but it was an older car with, uh, I think it was a 12 valve and all the piping was copper and everything else. I'm like, wow, <laughs> this is really cool. <laughs> it might've been one of Welder ups, Steve Darnell's vehicles. We always build stuff like that. It was, it was sweet. You're right though. I, it's like first few years, um, at the magazine, because I've only been doing this magazine stuff for about eight years. Um, you know, I was always going around trying to say hi to as many people as I could, you know, basically like work in the booth. Um, but now I try and make at least one day at every single event where there's no business. You know, so fr- uh, Friday at FEMA, I don't do any business Friday. I just wander around. But it's such a massive show that you can't see it all in one day. You can't even begin to scrape the surface of the show in one day. Um, but same thing at Shide. Sunday's my day, just because I enjoy drag racing a little more than than flood pulling and dyno stuff. Um, just because I do it myself. So Sunday's kind of my day to just sit there and play around at the track, say hi to everyone, see how everyone's doing. At that event, what I gravitated towards is well, I I, I like sled pulling. I like to see the dyno um, run, but it's drag racing. That's what hooked me on the performance side. And not even that I had anything really crazy. It was just the adrenaline rush and then getting to learn the vehicle, getting to learn how to stage it, playing around with data logs and, you know, having, uh, like Ryan Milliken tuned my truck and sending him a data log and him updating it and sending it back to me while I'm at the track. And all that stuff was just that that's what hooked me on the performance side. Yeah, you know, it's I, I wasn't into the drag racing stuff, excuse me, until about eight years ago um, when I started at the magazine because I was just, I built the truck to do everything I wanted it to do. I wanted it to be fast, but I wanted it to tow. I wanted it to get good mileage, all this stuff. And then I found Nitrous about eight years ago. <laughs> and, you know, found the drag strip. For, I totally agree, getting pushed back into the seat. And, you know, one of the things that actually pushed me the furthest was not being able to get all the power onto the track. I think that's where I started having more fun with it is when I was actually struggling to go down the track that I had so much power that the tires were just spinning. Um, I mean, granted, for me, that was because I had an open differential, but that's besides the fact. <laughs> you know? um, it, it offered a challenge. You know, whereas, I mean, I know sled pulling has it, but I'm, I'm on the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast. Excuse me. We don't have sled pulling out here. Um, I mean, we do, but it's very few and far between. In California, especially in Arizona, I mean, there's nothing. Um, so I've never actually hooked to a sled. I would love to try that because I'm sure I'd, I'm sure I'd end up uh, changing sides. But have you, have you sled pulled yourself? No, that I I never did, and there, there's a reason for it. It's because like when I set this truck up, I had it for a few years. Just had a tuner on it. And I thought, I want to drag race with it. So that's basically everything I did was for, for that setup. So I pulled the 68 RFE out, 48 RE went behind it. It was a, a 6.7 Cummins. Um, it had Caltrax. Um, the rear sat a little bit lower, so I could kind of play with the suspension a little bit. Had two lift pumps, big single. And it was also a truck that I kept immaculately clean. And I would see the dirt on the sled pulling track. And I'm like, well, I'd have to buy a new set of tires to do this. And two, I'm not sure I want to clean all the, the mud and the dirt from the undercarriage. So I never I never hooked to a sled. Yeah. Well, but then at the same time, now how much uh, 
burnt rubber do you have stuck to the back of your fender? Is there track prep all down the side? So, I'll play the devil's advocate there. <laughs> My challenge was I, I knew at that point the amount of fuel and air I had, if I, if I really pushed the motor, could probably do something to the bottom end. So I didn't want to push the power any farther. So I had to play around with tire pressure, play around with you know where where the the Caltrax were set up, um, play around with the PCS box and where the shift points were, where lockup was with the transmission tuning and try to squeeze every little bit out. But I knew if I put nitrous on it and just hit it, it probably would have went, yeah, it probably would have went a lot faster, but I, I just envisioned carnage and pieces spraying from underneath the engine, you know, down the track. And I didn't want to deal with that. So I, I never did it. <laughs> You know, and then what comes with that too, where I cringe there is, I don't want to oil down a track. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't want to break anything either, but I just, I know what it's like to sit in those staging lanes and be like, oh man, someone oiled it down again. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> and it's summertime and 95 degrees. and Yeah. yeah. Uh, they have to start burning the track to make it clean again. Oh. <laughs> yeah. so what was the quickest time you ran? Quickest I ever went was a 1201. Okay, wow. Bandamir Speedway. And the whole goal with it was just to get... Too. Yeah, it was just to get in, get into the 11s. And it came so close one night. And there was a another guy there who I knew. We had a pretty similar setup. He had a, uh, a Fummins. Had a 5.9. We ran about the same times, and then he sprayed it and went like 11.5. And I was so tempted just to do it, but it's just... I uh, didn't want to scatter the motor. <laughs> I don't blame you. Come down a little bit in elevation, and I bet you'd uh, you'd break right into it. Yeah, I, I always wanted to just take it somewhere else, but you know, you get busy with with work and everything else. It makes it uh, a little difficult to you know take it to Oklahoma or Texas or some other places. But that's that's really you know what I loved was just going to test and tunes, leave work, you know, get get off work. Head down to Test and Tune. There's all different kinds of vehicles. Taking it out there, running it five or six times. Stopping at the gas station at the end of the road, airing up the tires and driving home. Yep. <laughs> I've, uh, there's not too many tracks where I'm at in, in L.A., but we've got one, uh, Irwindale, a little eighth mile. It's not an hour from uh, from my office. But that was always my Thursday night until I spit a rear main out of the thing. But that was my Thursday night. Go there, get there at about 4 o'clock, and from 4 to about 7.30, I could do about eight passes. You know, and then it got too busy, and i just go home. But, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I bet in Southern California you saw a lot of different kind of vehicles at the track, a lot of different types. Yeah. Um, generally, what I want, it would be me and maybe two other diesels, and that's about it. There's really not much of a diesel um, enthusiast industry in L.A., um, so it's, it was mainly gassers. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really, you know, what's funny is it's a lot of late market muscle cars. You're either getting, you know, late model challengers, Mustangs, SRT8 Jeeps, SRT8, yeah, any SRT8, or actually old Hondas. So the nineties, you know, import craze is still, it still exists here. Um, you know, those real wide wheels and, Funny enough, kind of like what our trucks have turned into in the last few years. <laughs> um, but you know what? You get up in Northern California, and it's going to be just like what I see in the Midwest. I mean, there may be a little more chrome on everything, a little more powder coat, but it's, you know, the wheels may stick out a little bit wider, but it's mainly trucks. Um, it's one of the funny things, you know, people think about California, they just think of L.A. and Disneyland and stuff like that. The vast majority of the state is farming. And it just so happens that the population centers where everyone associates us with is L.A. But the vast majority of the state is just like the Midwest. And it's a big truck market here. I used to live out there. I lived in uh, Southern California for a while and then mm -hmm. Central. And that's the thing I remembered the most was, yeah, by the coast from San Diego to L.A. up to San Francisco, it's... It's very urban. It's very much how you picture California when you don't grow up there, where it's beaches and people and restaurants and everything like that. But you go inland a little bit, 
and it's like other places in the country and it a lot of farming a lot of trucks um it was just totally totally different and eye-opening to me how varied especially that state is with the kind of trucks that you see um gosh there were so many things that i went to out there whether it was like stopping at brown's diesel to talk with those guys and um you know different areas yeah yeah what they were doing like really early on with the six seven cummins which was like in the infancy days you know they they know how to build trucks and there's lots of other shops out there that do and i think the rest of the country thinks, oh, no, there's nothing, you know, California just it's all about how the truck looks. But no, there's there's guys that know how to go faster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just the ones that look good. Those tend to be the guys that look for more publicity. They're screaming, hey, look at me. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, the Browns guys like uh, Ace of Spades, they're, they're old 12 valve, but they have. That's probably one of the angriest trucks I've ever heard on nitrous because you know they have a fill station at their shop so i mean that's that's just dangerous to have a nitrous fill station at, at a performance shop you know? I, <laughs> I i could not work there i'd be blowing up more parts left and right <laughs> which they do and that's one of the great things about it is they just spray until they go and it's so much fun to watch but they've got you've seen their old deuce coupe they have a 4bt deuce coupe i haven't seen it 600 horsepower 4BT. Wow. I want to say they got about 700 out of it, but I'm not sure. Um, every time I hear something from it, it's, they're just going up and up and up. But yeah, those guys, compare those guys to what you're going to see, you know, in Southern California, you know, further south, night and day different. And then now go all the way north, and let's go Sacramento area, night and day different than the other two. Um, it's a big state. It's interesting to see that we get kind of all three, all three kind of styles that are very prominent within the diesel performance world. We kind of get to see a little bit of all of them there. That's been, you know, with the podcast, that's something that's really so cool is talking with people all over the country and shops and enthusiasts and seeing how different yet similar all the regions are with, ultimately they want to do the same thing, but they're, little bit different how they go about it and it's so i'm sure you see it with what you do a lot is the passion the excitement the different ways that companies are making products or building engines and delivering this power to people and it's i just feel like in diesel performance especially right now it's evolving much quicker than i ever remember it and it's so exciting to see it and talk to people that are doing it. Yeah, it is. It is very exciting, and you're right. It is the whole the entire country does things a little bit differently everywhere, but we all want the same thing. Um, and actually, when I say paint and chrome, I would say West Coast, some areas of California, some areas of Texas is paint and chrome where you can see it. Other areas of the country, it's paint and chrome where you can't see it, meaning under the hood. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and nowadays, I mean, talk about how much it's changing. I mean, I know we've been talking about drag racing so much here, but think about um, NHRA's class regulations. You know, 799 um, is the fastest you're allowed to go. And what is it, Pro Street? I put, I don't know, it's Pro Street. What is LeBond running? LeBond's at, what, 4,500 pounds, I think. I'm going to yeah. be so horrible if I'm off on the weight here. But that's the fastest the NHRA will let them run, 799. There is no class any faster than that. They changed that law last year, if I remember correctly. So it's only been a year since they've created these new classes and they're already running faster than that. Yeah. 788, he ran at UCC. They should have kicked him off the track for that. Because um, it's, it's faster than he's legally allowed to go. Um, it's yeah, it's amazing to see how quickly we've grown in just the last I mean, shoot, just the last three years. It's, yeah, and the think, well, three years from now where's it gonna be and all these different it's it's like the the motor and the power side I think is outpacing definitely the transmission side. 
and what those guys are going to do, how they're going to evolve and come up with different, it might be a totally different platform that they're using to be able to, to hold that power and to be able to go even faster than say they can right now, but in the future when they can go quicker, how are you going to get it to the, you know, get it to the tires? I think we'll see a lot more of the non-lockup converters. Yeah. You know, um, industrial has been using them. Um, you know, I mean, Sean's truck, Sean Baca's truck, he had all those issues with uh, the clutch packs, basically, and, and what he was running. And I want to say they switched to a non-lockup, um, and that's how they saw these gains. I mean, uh, Jared Delecta, his truck, um, which was... See, and I don't understand what's going on there, because I think that's still um, Brett's truck. But Jared was driving it at UCC. I know that one has a non-lockup. And so they're putting down, what, 23, 22, 23, I think is what they put down at UCC. Yeah, it was right. They able to put that to the track and still run. I think he ran an 806, if I remember correctly. I mean, that's with a non-lockup. I think we'll see a lot more of that stuff. Actually, what am I saying? I just broke my transmission when it went into lockup. So, what what happened there? <laughs> oh, full billet trans, 4R100, everything in it was billet, except for what I just found out, one of the planetaries. And it shattered and took out the rest of the transmission, so I now have a very big paperweight. Oh, jeez. Took out all the shafts and took out overdrive. and Basically just enough to where you're like, well, it's not worth putting, not worth saving anything, let's tear it apart, but... <laughs> part of driving a you know a bottle fed truck on the street I don't even want to say how much horse count power because people who don't know 7.3s are just going to think that 600 horse is not that much but you know there's a, a decent amount of horsepower in those older trucks it's it's like a, pa- or a paper clip you know, every time you take a hit on it, it's like bending that paper clip back and forth, and you've only got so many times you can bend it until something snaps. And I found out just on the highway which part that was. So. It's uh, it's almost deceptive how much, as we as enthusiasts, we get caught up in the total power number, but driving something every day, six hundred isn't. It's not a slouch. It's fun, and yeah, and you can use it, and you know, still drive it to the grocery store and it's, it's a fun vehicle regardless of what engine it is it's fun or in towing with it yeah that's one of the most fun i've had is hauling you know hauling a buddy's truck behind me on a flatbed going up um el cajon which is just a you know one of the i think it's rated as like one of the top five or top 15 somewhere in that realm um most you know toughest drives. It's 15 miles of 7% grade in the middle of the California desert. So it's you know average temp is usually around 100 degrees. I love just passing semis and having them honk at you and just waving as you're going by. <laughs> I mean, that's the greatest thing in the world. You're not pulling a ton of weight, but you know 10, 12, 13,000 pounds and being able to do whatever you want. That's yeah. Towing with a high performance truck is a lot of fun. That's where that's where I think most of the most of the market is it is right there in in that range and it's so cool to see like in diesel world I'll see articles about it and I'm there there's something special to me always will be is I love to sit down and hold something and read it and flip through the pages and then save it and then like a month later I'll think how was that truck set up again I can go grab it pull out the magazine. <laughs> read it and and uh just i go back and i read them all the time i don't even know how many i've stored away but there's a lot i'm the same way i still have and i will say this because even though it's my competition but uh, kj's still a good friend of mine i still have the very first issue of diesel power all the way through till about uh about two years ago i moved and i lost my subscription and now it's just kind of you know bouncing in between but uh same thing with Diesel World. I still have the very first issue of Diesel World. I have a mass majority of Diesel Tech. Um, I know exactly what you mean. And there's a lot of them that I still go back to, you know, because I remember, oh, that, that one truck. And, yeah, just like you said, going back to see how they did something. 
So Adam, we've been talking about trucks, talking about diesel world, talking about performance, and know that our listeners are going to want to check out what you guys are doing, where where the crew is at, at races. How can can our listeners find you guys on social media? So on social media, um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, it's at Diesel World Mag, M-A-G, Diesel World Mag. Um, I would say if you want to know where we're at at any given point in time, if you're at an event and you want to know where we're at, go to Facebook, go to Instagram, check out our posts, check out our stories. That'll tell you where we're at. Um, as far as where you're going to find the most content that's going to help you build your truck or help you find out what event you know to go to next, get you ideas for your next truck build, whatever you want to do, um, that's dieselworldmag.com. Any content that we put on Facebook, on Instagram, in the magazine, it all eventually ends up there. We've also got a shop directory there, so if you need to find a shop in your area, you can find a shop through there. Um, I mean, we've got the podcast, the Diesel podcast going there. Um, We've got live feeds to a couple events there. Big video gallery. I mean, it's growing every single day. We put at least one post up there a day, and that can be a video. It could be an article. It's... That's kind of the machine now. Um, print stuff, I mean, you're still going to find a magazine all over the country. We've got 100,000 copies distributed all over the U.S. and Canada, as well as in several international countries. Um, Australia's one. Um, actually, Venezuela, believe it or not, buys a lot of copies. Um, so we're kind, of, we're kind of all over the place right now. You guys are definitely on top of it. I go on the website all the time, and I'm always seeing something really cool and it's like as it's happening <laughs> there's not a delay <laughs> yeah well we've got our news our news column in there too and we do two news articles a week so one is just kind of a recap of what happened the week before and another is just whatever we found is kind of the hottest little item going on right now it's yeah no thank thank you for saying that but yeah we we try and make sure we're on top of everything at any given point in time it's hard to there's a lot going on but i guess that we got you know, 15 guys all over the country kind of contributing little bits here every single day. I think I speak for Diesel Nation when I say that we appreciate all you guys do and the event coverage and the builds and everything throughout the year. There's tons of great information, ideas, getting a glimpse into what's going on in Diesel. So we, we all appreciate what you guys do and your time today. I know you're a busy guy. I love talking trucks with you today, going through everything that we did it was really cool oh yeah no thank you i'm i love talking trucks as well i wouldn't be doing this if i didn't you know i wouldn't be in this industry if i didn't so yeah it was fun it was fun love to do it again sometime you got a great podcast going too i love uh love listening to it whenever i get the chance you got so many up there it's hard to hear them all but uh i'm working my my way down the list <laughs> There's so many diesel guys to talk to. We got to see them, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Should do an outtakes reel and just you know get all the screw ups, put them all in one. Might... Those of us in the industry would love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got a few. I might have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again, Adam. Yeah, anytime. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day. Don't forget, guys. Make sure to like, comment, and share on social media. Give us iTunes ratings. Let us know who you want to hear from and topics that are interesting to you. We'll make sure we get them on the podcast. Until next time, keep the shiny side up.